My name is Shelley Motes and I am a pediatric audiologist and the executive director of Little Ears Hearing Center. Our goal is to help these kids be the very best version of themselves that they can be. We don't want hearing loss to be an obstacle. This is a hard thing for families when their kids are diagnosed with hearing loss because often their child is the first person with hearing loss that they've ever met. And for me, it's just, it's a privilege to meet those families where they are and, you know, we're going to be here with you to provide you with the tools that you need. When I have a situation where we have to tell the family of an infant that their, that their child is deaf, that's hard for me. It's, it's, it can be draining a little bit, but I feel like, you know, thinking it through and praying about it helps me to, you know, to find peace and focus on moving forward and helping the family move forward. Usually as I'm driving, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the families that are coming in that day. I'm praying for them and hoping that they are, you know, moving along on their journey and, and just praying that, that I'm able to use the fullest of my abilities to, to meet the families where they're at and help them. Very easy to say, I'll pray for you. It's another thing to kind of dive in with a family or a kiddo who's really struggling and sit next to them and hold their hand and just say, I'm here and this is hard and we don't like it right now, but we're, we're gonna get through it and we're gonna get through it together. I can show love and show compassion um, just in my actions and in the way I interact People say, you know, thank you, you've helped us so much. But the funny thing is that I feel like I almost get more out of it than they do. Is that inspirational? What a great story. Shelly Motes and her husband Troy attend our church, uh, and they attend the middle service, very involved, been coming here for a few years. And her story is a story like many of your stories. Her story is an example of how uh, no matter what your job is, uh, no matter where you work, you can bring joy and goodness and hope to the people that you work with and, and to the people that you serve. The real secret to us sharing the good news of Jesus is for just regular people, sharing their faith every day where they live, where they do their work. And it doesn't matter whether you, you work or you're retired or how old or how young you are. Everyone has this, this capacity to make a difference in the life of another person. You know, one of the things I, I would share with you is that if, that if, if you are struggling in the place where you work. If you are struggling with the people that you work with, if every day seems like one day like the day before and you're having trouble finding energy for your work, shift the way that you think about your work. Bring your purpose to your work. It doesn't matter what job you have, everyone has a purpose. If you woke up this morning, God has a purpose for you, a plan for you, something for you to share. And when you begin to look at your job 
and bring your purpose. The problems become opportunities. The challenges become a place to share, to share your blessings. Just like she said in the video, she says she gets more out of it when she shares her faith, perhaps than what she gives away. And I love what she said. What a great, great perspective to say. You know, it's easy, it's easy, and it's a good thing to say, I'll pray for you. But it's a better thing and a harder thing to really get our hands involved in a person's life, to go the distance, and to make a difference. But I know how it is. Uh, I'm, I'm just like you. It's really easy to forget our purpose. It's really easy to get lost in things that are not that important. It's really easy to elevate the trivial and to forget the main things. I was thinking about uh, a conversation that I had in my church parking lot uh, in the church I grew up in with my mom and dad a few years ago. I, I don't know why I remembered this story, uh, but this week I remembered a conversation between my mom and dad and a member of my home church. Uh, I'd been living away from home for a few years. This is probably 25 years ago. I was a minister in Little Rock, Arkansas. And my mom and dad had stopped going to church. After my sister and I grew up and moved away, uh, for whatever reason, my mom and dad started going less and less and then, and then not at all. So I would call them and say, you going to church this weekend? No, we didn't go. So I called them and said, I'm coming home this weekend. We're going to church. You're going to get connected. You're going to get back in church. Mom, Dad, you need, you need to be in church. They need you. You need them. So drove home from Little Rock, went to where I grew up, got up on Sunday morning, went to church. And it was great. It was great to be in the old church. Nothing had really changed. Uh, a lot of the same people were there, and they were glad to see me. How's it going? Great, proud of you. And then Pat, Judy, so glad you're back. It's wonderful seeing all the same people. We're then walking into the parking lot, and uh, we walked with a man to our car. His car was parked next to our car, and it was somebody we had known a long time. And as he was walking to the car with my mom and dad, he was talking to my mom and dad and told them that he was serving as the, the chairman of the board. And then he looked at my dad, and he said, Pat, man, I'm so glad you're here today. We really need you to get back and involved in the church. And then he said, I'm so excited. I mean, he's just like pumped up. He's fired up. He said, I'm so excited about what's happening in our church. You won't believe it. And I'm thinking, man, what's he going to tell my dad? I mean, he's like, he's really excited. I mean, this must be just great. My dad's going to want to get involved in this. They're doing some new mission at some shelter somewhere, homeless shelter have they got involved in something down in Mexico, down on the border where we did some work? Could it have been that they've reached new young families? Um, you know, what is it? And he said, Pat, let me tell you what it is. For the first time ever in the history of this church, we actually have a balanced church budget. <laughs> he, said, he, said, he said, we did the pledges this year, and... The pledges and the budget actually match. We have a balanced budget. And my dad said, oh, that's, that's, that's good. We got in the car and we, 
we drove away. I mean, there's nothing wrong. I mean, we got to have a budget. I mean, the church takes money to operate. Budgets are good things, but it's not the main thing. The budget makes it possible for us to do the main thing. And I remember, I remember thinking about this and thinking, that's so church. Right? That is so church that sometimes in the church we forget what the main thing is and we have this habit of mistaking the trivial for the transformational. We get lost in this church bubble. We start doing the church thing year after year after year and we forget what our business is, our main business is. So on Easter, mom and dad have not been back to church. Got up that morning before church and said, go to church, it's Easter. You're supposed to go to church on Easter. Guilted them. They go. After church, I call and I say, Dad, I'm so glad. You went to church? Yeah, we went to church. And I said, how did it go? He says, I'm never going back to that church. I said, why? what happened? He said, it was awful. It was, it was, just, it was just terrible. I'm never going back. I said, well, Dad, you've got a new minister. She's wonderful. I, I heard great things about her. And, and she, it's the first time you've read a woman minister, and, and I hear she's great. She did a great job in her last church. I, I said, was the sermon? I couldn't even listen to the sermon. What did she talk about? I don't know what she talked about. I'm just never going back. So what happened, Dad? He said, would you believe it? Would you just believe it? And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, it must have just been catastrophic. What happened? He said, she wore flip-flops. <laughs> I said, flip-flops, yeah. For the rest of my dad's life, that was the reason he would never go back to my home church. It's because the minister wore flip-flops. I mean, that's just so church. I mean, I mean, it's so church. You ever been in that church, a church that just gets lost in the trivial, you know? I mean, what, people have different customs, but they get so lost in the trivial that we forget the transformational. I stopped going to that church. My family gave that painting to the church, and it used to hang on the wall there for year after year after year, and they moved it to another part of the building. I'm not going back to that church anymore. I'm not going. I remember there was a man in our church here, and I'm not making fun of him. I know this is, uh, but, but if you knew him, you'd laugh at this story. Uh, he he said he wasn't coming back to church. I went out to call on him. And the reason he wasn't coming back to church is because we were playing drums in church. And he said, next thing you know, they're going to install a stripper pole. I said, that's not true. That's not true, Bob. It's not going to happen. He came back. But we just, that's so church. We're so church. When, when, you, when you open up Paul's letter, when you open up Paul's letter to Timothy... Paul is writing this letter to a young minister. And this young minister is in over his head. He's been left behind to pastor a church in Ephesus. And the church is in trouble. The church has really gotten lost in trivial things. You know, they're arguing about where the painting is. Uh, they're arguing about the music. They're arguing about the worship. All the things that we sometimes argue about that are important things but not the main things. And so Timothy doesn't know what to do. He, he's lost his confidence. 
He's doubting himself. He's wanting to flee. He's discouraged, disillusioned. And so Paul is writing him, and as he begins his letter, Paul just begins his letter with this really great phrase saying, this is the important thing. He begins his letter by saying in the first chapter, Christ Jesus gives us hope. Uh, the purpose of the gospel is to give people hope. The reason we put the church in Ephesus was to bring the world hope. But then Paul immediately launches into the problem, diagnoses the situation. Uh, he says to Timothy, they're wasting their time in endless discussions of myths and spiritual pedigrees. Well, we don't know necessarily what he's talking about. But just think about the, uh, the conversations we've sometimes been in religious communities that are sort of endless discussions that lead people nowhere. And he says, these things only lead to meaningless speculation which don't help people live a life of faith in God. He says, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a pure conscience, and a genuine faith. See, he's directing him. He's saying we've got to focus on the main things, the transformational things. But some people have missed the whole point. That's so church. I can say that because I'm a part of the church. But that's so church. Sometimes it's easy to focus on the trivial instead of the transformational. You know, you know what's, what Paul does here in this letter is he's trying to remind Timothy of the why behind everything. Why do we gather for worship? Why do we inspire people to share their faith? And it occurred to me that when I began this series, I didn't want this series about everyday faith to just be another everyday sermon. I didn't want this series to be a moment in time. I wanted it to be a movement forward. I didn't want this series to just have a short shelf life. I wanted this series to be memorable and move us to understand that where we work, live, and play is the place to share our faith. But I realized that unless you leave this sanctuary leave this series without knowing why we're called to share our faith, none of this will make a difference. Because without a clearly defined why, we will confuse the trivial or the minor things with the main things in the transformational. The other thing is that without a why, I mean, what I mean by the why, the why is when you feel it in your gut. The why is why you get up in the morning. The why is why you live. The why is why you take in your breath. The why is what gives life energy. The why is your purpose. The why is who you are. Why is everything. Why do you do what you do? Without the why, do you know what sharing your faith feels like? It's a have to, not a get to. We will go nowhere as long as sharing our faith is a have to and not a get to. And besides that, no one is inspired by have to. People are inspired by get to. And when you know why, when you know why, when you can feel your why, when you're in touch with the why, or why we share our faith, when you're in touch with that hope that lives inside of us that gives us life, I don't have to motivate you. I don't have to persuade you because you get to. You don't have to. 
You see, you know what the difference between have to and want to is? Have to is apple pie without the apples. Get to is apple pie right out of the oven, hot, and vanilla ice cream on top. People look at the apple pie without the apples and say, I don't want any of that. I don't want your have to. I got enough have to. They look at your apple pie life with the ice cream on top, spilling out over the sides, and say, I'll have some of that. You see, when you share, when you share your why, when you know your why, when you're living from your why, when you're living your purpose, when it comes out of your face as a smile on your lips, you say, I, I'll have some of that. So here's what Paul does. Paul, Paul then tells us why. If you just read this passage and take this passage, you'll have everything you need to know to know why. Look at what Paul says. Paul is reminding him. He's saying, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength. He's given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to do violence. I used to blaspheme the name of Jesus. In my insolence, I persecuted his people. Now here is the, the two best words in the whole Bible. The two best, but God. That's the gospel right there. But God who is rich in mercy. Do you hear what Paul is saying? Paul is saying, my life was headed this way. I was going this direction. I was insolent. I was violent. I was hard-hearted. I was mean. I was vicious. I was confused. I was perplexed. I was worthless. But God, and he's saying, if God can be rich in mercy to me, God can be rich in mercy to everyone because I'm the worst of them all. But God, you see, but I was directionless. I was awkward. I was a poor student. I had no vision for my future. I had no dreams, but God, but God, you were, you were, you were, but God, that's your why. It's where your life is at the bottom. It's when your life is in the hole. It's when your life is in the pit. It's when your life was heading one direction, and then your story changes, and you got a new story because God helped you find your story. That's the apple pie. That's the brownie with the ice cream on top that people want. They want your why. They don't want your religion. They want your why. They want where God has met you in the core. If you don't have the core, you don't have the why. Some of you are at the end of your rope. Someone broke your heart. Someone left you. Someone betrayed you. But God. Some of you are at the end of your hope. You lost your job. You lost your dream. You lost your home. But God, some of you, some of you don't have a reason to get up out of bed in the morning. 
For whatever reason, the dream of life that was in you is no longer there. Your spark is gone. The fire is no longer in your belly. You, you just don't have what you used to have. Your mojo's missing. You know, you got up this morning, and one day, this day felt like yesterday. It's like Groundhog Day over and over and over and over again, the same old day. It's just dullness, boredom. But God, some of you, you're the one that broke their heart. Some of you are the ones that made the mistake. Some of you are the ones that made the decision. Some of you who went down a path you never thought you would go down, and you went so far down that path, there was no hope of recovery. But God, but God, but God. You see, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus that there is no life too dark, no hole too deep that God can't touch. So look at what Paul says. In spite of all this, he considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. You see, that's your story. Here is my life, and this is who I am, but God met me where I am. God met me here, and then he gave me this new life. He called me to serve him. He called me to share this with him, with him and with you. You see, you don't have to hide. We think that our faults and our failures disqualify us. No, your faults and your failures make you relevant. It's your story. Look at what Paul says here. This is the clearest Shortest description of the gospel found anywhere in Scripture. Paul goes on and says now in verse 17 that even this, this, this saying is trustworthy and everyone should accept it, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save people like you and me. Is that what he said? No. Did he say he came to save people who look like you and me? No. People who think like you and me? No. Did he say he came into the world to save Perfect people, people have it all figured out, the beautiful, no. He said he came in the world to save sinners. Who are they? Well, it's the person you're sitting next to. It's you. It's me. A sinner is every person that woke up on the face of the earth this morning. It's every single person on the earth that draws in a breath of fresh air. It's every one of us. It's not a bad word. It just means that we are human. It just means that we're not perfect. It just means that we make mistakes. It means that we have desires and faults and weaknesses and addictions and habits that are just born in us and, and is a part of us that derail us. And what does he say? That Christ came in the world to not condemn us, not to scorn us, not to humiliate us, not to shame us, but to save us, to redeem us, to release us, to restore us. But God. And then look what he says. So that Christ Jesus could use me. Christ Jesus brings hope. But God did this so he could use me as a prime example of his great patience. What he's saying 
is that you are the apple pie. You're the brownie with the ice cream on top. It's your life and all its imperfections and all its brokenness and all those things about your life. It's, it's your story that is the message. You are the message. Your life transformation is the message. So you look in the Gospels, there's this great story. Jesus is sitting down at a dinner table with a bunch of tax collectors and a bunch of sinners. And the religious people gather up outside and they say, look at him. He's spending time with bad people, but they don't know what he's doing. You know what he's doing? He's gathering up the right people for his work. Because people who have been forgiven much, love much, they know their why. But if you're righteous and you think you have it all together, you have no why. He's building a church out of those people, us people. And then later on, he's at another dinner table with some religious people, and a sinful woman walks in who has a real past, and she's touching his feet, washing his feet with her tears and with her hair, and is taking care of Jesus, and they say, he doesn't know who's touching him. Oh, yes, he does. He knows who's touching him. Someone that God has mercy for. Someone that God loves. All that God is looking for is yes, not perfection. All that God is looking for is humility and repentance and the willingness to open your heart. That's what God is looking And so when people see us, they see a prime example of his great patience. And then look at what he says. This is beautiful. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All right, let me add this pretty quick. Some of you this morning need to be rescued. But some of you also need to be wrecked. The ones that need to be rescued are the ones that need help in their story. And those who need to be wrecked are those who are too confident of themselves, too complacent, and too comfortable. The gospel speaks to both. The gospel is preached when we make the church a safe place, but not a comfortable place. A great church is a church that is safe, but never comfortable. Look at this quote. I believe this is true. This is what God's kingdom is like. It's a bunch of outcasts and oddballs gathered at the table, not because they're rich or worthy or good, but because they were hungry and because they said yes and because there's always room for more. So we just, we do life with people. We just invite them to our table. We sit at their table. We welcome, we love, we share our life. We share our doubts. We share our fears. We share who we are. We share where we've been. And then we just talk about who God is and what God has meant for us. And here's the thing. When you do that, you don't have to persuade anybody of anything. You don't have to have all the right arguments. All you have to do is talk about how God has been at work in your life and just trust, trust that God God will do the rest. Paul ends with these words. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. 
He is the eternal king. I love this. The unseen one who never dies, who never gives up, who never loses patience, who never stops loving, who never stops intervening. The eternal king, the unseen one who never dies, he alone, he alone is God.